Welcome to the Authentic Life Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Wusk. I'm a master certified life coach, author, personal trainer, and nutrition specialist. For over a decade, I've been helping people with their dreams and goals for their life and health. I spent many years watching people get frustrated with their journey in life and giving up on taking actions towards their goals. So I dug in deep to find answers to why so many of us face this same frustration and struggle in life. So in this podcast, we're going to dive in deep on topics surrounding what it means to consistently live a fulfilling and authentic life, where you are unstoppable in taking action towards your dreams and goals. So the only question is, are you ready to start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. You picked a fascinating episode to join in on. I will say that if you did not get a chance yet to listen to last week's episode, it's not required to understand this episode, but it would be beneficial for you to go back and listen to it before listening to this one, because what we're going to talk about today kind of builds on a bit of what we talked about last week. So last week, We talked about failure and we talked about semantics and how our semantic approach to the word failure is creating a lot of issues culturally and societally when it comes to how we show up in our lives and how we approach the learning process. And that's what I want to talk with you all about this week is the learning process. What exactly is learning? What does it mean when we've learned something? And what sort of issues are we currently facing societally, culturally, when it comes to learning, especially when it comes to how we approach this word failure? So I've got some interesting material that I, I researched um, over the over the last couple of weeks while I was preparing for this episode. I've got an article here that I'm going to kind of be going through with you guys that I found to be really rather interesting out of the Oxford Review. And then I've also got a study here that I want to share some results with you guys um, when it comes to the learning process, because I find it to be really helpful to put some stuff in context and to help you all see something that's really important for us to see about learning. Uh, If you notice that the sound quality sounds a little bit different on this episode, uh, please forgive me. I am laying in bed. I've been sick with some kind of strange virus for the last week that um, is really kind of kicking my butt. So I am recording this episode uh, with my laptop sitting on on my lap and my podcast microphone sitting on my chest and I am talking to you all. through the microphone with these articles surrounding me laying on my bed. So if the sound quality sounds a little bit strange or I get muffled at some point in time, uh, just forgive me for this week. I'm I'm going to be recording from bed this week. So I wanted this. I, I couldn't. I could actually, but I did not want to wait on putting out this podcast episode, though, because it's so important and it follows up so well with what we talked about last week. So I didn't want to delay putting this podcast episode out in favor of doing something simpler. So we're going to work through this together, me laying in bed, you guys listening in, and we're going to talk about learning today. So the first thing I want to kind of explore with you guys is the difference between studying versus learning, because I think a lot of us have this idea when we hear the word learning, and we associate it with studying, and we almost use the words synonymously as if they mean the same thing where studying is actually the acquiring or the acquisition of information. A lot of times we call that learning, whereas learning is the integration and application of new information to produce change. So 
Why this is important to see is because so many of us, <laughs> so many of the people that I polled when it came to this this kind of mini study that I did on people's relationship to the word failure, said that the biggest response was that I try to avoid failure as much as possible by learning as much as I can before I try something new. And I find this to be a bit ironic because doing something new and getting different results over and over again is learning. The other is studying. So really what you guys are saying is that you want to study to avoid the learning process. We're going to talk a little bit more about what I mean here later, but so many of you out there think what you're doing is learning to avoid failure, when really what you're doing is studying to avoid learning. <laughs> um, so yeah, first, I want you all to understand that there's a difference between studying and learning. And I want you all to also understand that everybody has their own unique learning process. And this is very important to understand because I know most of us that are listening to this podcast episode and I myself have gone through a formal education setting, meaning you went to a public school, maybe you even were homeschooled, but you still went through a formal education system if you were homeschooled. You know, you were your parents were sent materials that they were supposed to teach you and curriculums and things you were supposed to learn and tests you were supposed to take. So we've most of us listening to this have gone through a formal education system. And I want to stress how important it is that we recognize that we, even though we've chosen this method for education, that we all learn very differently. And that's important for us to sort of have in our cognition, in our awareness, when we approach learning at a systemic level, is to recognize that we will all learn in a different way. So what exactly do we define as learning is a really big question here. You know, I gave you the the book definition, which is the integration and application of new information to produce change. But what does that actually mean? So what is learning? There is a very interesting article out of the Oxford Review written by David Wilkinson, who has a PhD in the phil- I'm sorry, the philosophy of education, a master's of science in education, and a bachelor of science in organizational psychology. And he wrote an interesting article in the Oxford Review. It's titled, At What Point Can You Say You Have Learned Something? And I would recommend going and reading the full article if you want more on this. But he had some fascinating stuff to say in here that I want to share with you all today. So he basically is writing this article approaching the question of, at what point can we say that we've learned something? So he his first question is, what does having learned something actually mean? And he's he says when he asks people this question, they tend to include in their answer things like when you can repeat it, when you understand it, when you can explain it to others, or when you can do something with it. And he goes on to ask some other questions like what are we trying to achieve here with learning so we can know what is actually learning and when can we say that we have learned something. And he goes on to say that it's much deeper than these surface answers of when you can repeat it, when you can understand it, when you can explain it to others, and when you can do something with it. He talks about this thing called the exposure to content learning myth, which is what a lot of you and a lot of my clients come to me with this model of learning that what it is is just being exposed to information, going to lectures or sitting in seminars and being exposed to the information. And this somehow the attendance to these events means learning And he goes on to say that learning is something much deeper than that. At what point can we say, though, that we have learned something? 
And he then says, you know, a lot of people say it has to do with you know, being able to memorize information, being able to retain what it is that we've listened to. So he goes on to ask the question about the permanency of learning. So when is it long enough to say that if, if the objective of learning is to retain information, when is it long enough to say that we've learned it? Is it an hour? Is it a week? Is it, you know, a month? Is it a year, a few years, a decade? At what point in time can we say, oh, well, we've retained the information for this long, so therefore we've learned it? And if we accept that the answer of learning is simply just the retention of information, then we have to ask the question, at what point in time is it considered learned if we've retained the information for this long. And he goes on to talk about some interesting studies that um, actually, the process of learning in a traditional setting and then being um, examined through questioning actually causes us to not retain the information as long. I find that to be really fascinating because basically this is our formal education system. The traditional education system is this process of we sit in front of lectures and we hear information, we retain it, and then we regurgitate it onto a piece of paper. So then he goes on to ask, like, is that when we consider it learning is when we're able to regurgitate the information, not just retain it, but we're able to regurgitate it. And he goes on to talk about how this sort of the way that we, we test students actually causes students um, to forget the information. So the retrieval process in the examination process of traditional education causes long-lasting forgetting, not the strengthening of memories that we would expect for it to, to cause. So then is really being able to regurgitate the information onto a piece of paper in an examination, is that having considered, do, do we consider that having learned it? Like, do, do we even question this? Is this something that we really think about when we think about our formal education system? Then he begs the question, so is the process of learning really about forgetting? And he goes on to talk quite a bit about, I, I want you guys to go read the full article because there's so much here that he talks about. He talks about um, how we form memories when it comes to sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch, um, you know, temperature, kinesthetic learning, pain, balance, vibrations, like we can learn things in this way and create form memories in this way. And he goes on to talk about how learning is actually about change and that learning means it implies changing and that having learned something implies something having changed and that the learning process implies instability and having learned is the stability that occurs after having learned the information. So in other words, in order for learning to occur, what he's saying is that there is an application process in which change occurs and that there will be instability in this process and that after that instability, having learned, then we arrive on the other side where the change has already occurred and there is stability afterwards. But then also... He begs the question, at what point in time do we want the change to be permanent? Because that's also, you know, circumstances in life change, our environment changes. So do we want these changes to be permanent? At what point in time do we... So really what we want is we want change and we want the change to be stable on the other side, but only for a certain extent of time until other factors change in which we want that change to become unstable again in order for new change to come in and then become stable again. And this is the learning process. But what is important here, what I want you all to recognize 
is that out of this article is that learning implies integration and application. The formal learning process, what we've most have gone through as far as like a systemic educational process, has programmed many people to fear this crucial step in learning because they associate it with meaning failure. And there's another study coming out of the National Academy of Sciences in, in America that actually talks about this. Because I know that some of you are like, all right, well, can you actually prove that, that people are fearing the process of learning because of, of this idea of failure? And this study, I believe, proves it because they're talking about student-activated learning. And what this means is there is a lot of evidence that is being used in pedagogical systems now that show that student-activated learning is beneficial over traditional learning methods. In other words, methods of sitting in front of a lecturer and, and having passive learning. So someone telling you the information, telling you the answers, and you just trying to absorb the information. So student-activated learning has been shown to increase learning itself, increase attendance and engagement, increase a stronger development of self-specific um, disciplines and expert thinking. So there are all of these benefits to, stu to student-activated learning versus passive learning, where the professor just gives you the information. And what this study proves is that there is an inherent negative bias that students carry towards the active learning process. So basically what they did is they took students out of the traditional learning environment and they put some in a control group and some in, you know, the, the actual study group. And with the study group, what they, what they did was that they had um, student-activated learning. So they had these active teaching processes where the students would go in. It was basically like research. The students would guide the, um, guide the, the whole learning process through practicing things, studying things, researching things. And then the, the lecturer would give input after the experimentation, after the students um, you know, we're, we're actively trying to apply um, information and, and learn the information through application. And then the control group was through just, they just received passive lectures mostly. And then the rest of the courses that, the, that both groups received was a light version of what they call active learning. So basically what this meant is that both the experimental and the control group had a shift in their method of instruction. So both groups had a shift so that, that would stay the same, but that one had more active learning and one had more passive learning. At the end of the experimental study, the students answered multiple choice questions to assess what they had learned. And then they performed a survey about their feeling of having learned. And the students were asked to basically rate their level of agreement um, with, with the fact that they had learned something. And what the results from the study showed is that the students that went through the active learning process scored better on the multiple choice questions of to assess their actual learning. So in other words, they had a higher amount of learning that had taken place. They understood the material more. They had learned more about the material and what it is that they were studying than the group that went through the passive lectures. However, the students that went through the passive lectures, even though they scored worse on the multiple choice testing of their, um, you know, assessment of their learning, they gave higher scores on their feeling of having learned than the students that went through the active learning process and actually learned more. The students who went through the active lectures described their lectures as lacking flow and were characterized by a general feeling of confusion, 
in comparison to the quote-unquote more enjoyable passive lecture. Now, you might be like, well, what does this mean? Well, what this means, what this shows is that students have a negative bias towards approaching learning from the way that learning is supposed to actually happen, which is the active learning process. It's how we actually learn. This study shows that active learning, and many other studies show that active learning is how we learn in a more superior way than passive lectures. But students prefer the passive lectures over the active learning because of confusion. Now, what this shows me is that students dislike the idea of not already having the answers before they try things because they fear the confusion because confusion means they might not get it right the first time. And they will have to do it, not get the results they want, try again, not get the results they want, try again, not get the results they want, try again, not get the results, as many times as they need to until they get the results that they want. And what this study shows is that students have a bias against that. They have a negative bias towards this process of learning, even though that process of learning actually helps. It's a superior learning process to the passive learning process, which which doesn't cause as much learning to to occur. So what this what this what this brings up for me that's really interesting is that basically it's what I was talking about last week. We have been socially programmed to have a negative bias towards the learning process because the true learning process, the active learning process, not the past not the studying, not the absorption or the acquisition of information which is what we call learning, but the active learning process that is how we actually learn as human beings, we have a negative bias against it because of the fact that we see that process as failure. We have a negative bias towards the process of showing up and doing things that we don't already have the how-to, the answers for, given to us passively so that we can avoid the process of trying something, getting a different result, trying something, getting a different result, trying something, and getting a different result. And then actually learning through that process, which is how we truly learn. But we have a negative bias towards that because we've been taught that this process of trying something and getting a different result than what we wanted is called failure, and failure is bad. And it feels confusing, and we feel that that means that something is bad, that we're not learning because we're moving through confusion. And this is so true. I see it in so many of my clients, too, that they avoid confusion. Confusion is a sign to stop and not move forward. When really, confusion is a sign that we just don't know the how-to yet, but we won't know the how-to until we do it. Confusion is not a sign to stop and not keep trying, not to keep moving forward, but so many of us use it as a sign to not move forward because of our fear of this quote-unquote failure that we think is going to happen. We have this deeply socially programmed relationship with the term failure. And even as we, we're quote-unquote learning to change our relationship to the word, we associate it with either immediately or over time eroding our self-worth. And this leads to behavior patterns that inhibit the learning process, how humans actually learn, which is through active learning, not passive absorption of information, which isn't even learning, it's studying. And this is why I talked last week about the importance of us to not just simply change a relationship to the word failure, but also disrupt the systemic usage of the word failure and how we're using it systemically in a synonymous way with the process of what is actually learning. 
We really want to have a distinguishable difference here in our language and how we're describing this. And ask the question, why do we use the same word that we associate with not being good enough or with, you know, losing potential worth as a human or not being as successful or not having the ability to achieve our desired goals? Why do we use that same word with the very process that a person would be able to take to achieve those desired goals? Why are we doing that? Why are we accepting that this is what we have to call that? And then having this negative relationship with the process of true learning. I think us looking at our usage of the word failure is helpful here, as we talked about last week. But stopping there would, would be a bit of negligence, because I believe we also need to look at the model of learning that we've all had handed to us and really take a look at what it implies and what the truth actually is surrounding the learning process. Some of the most acknowledged and greatest minds in the world who invented some of the most life-changing inventions and theories and laws of, of, you know, the, of science, they didn't excel in formal education settings. And thankfully, they didn't listen to the social cues around them of how they were a failure because of what this formal education system told them. I'm talking, thinking about people like Albert Einstein and Thomas Edison and uh, Steve Jobs and Steven Spielberg and Leonardo da Vinci. But this begs the question, not only can we see brilliant minds that were, by the formal education system, labeled as failures, basically, (laughs) and thankfully they didn't listen, they continued to to question that system and move forward in their own, own way of educating themselves and learning through active learning, but this also begs the question of currently, if we're still accepting this formal education system as being the definitive deciding factor in what, whether or not we're failures in life or in learning and what's going to be possible for us, how many other brilliant minds are we silencing in the world now simply because these minds don't know that they can question these social cues or make a decision for themselves about what their education will look like or what learning looks like for them? Our system of education that is generally accepted is only one system, one theory of learning. Not all minds will excel in that construct. And we knew this hundreds of years ago, or a hundred years ago, when we began normalizing this one construct of, of one formula of learning, creating a formal learning model. And it was created out of a need for efficiency in a time when it was important to produce many of these quote-unquote educated, normalized minds during, you know, societal evolution such as the Industrial Revolution. And this is when our education system kind of transformed into this very industrious form of education where it was like just people go, these kids go into a system and they come out on the other side a uniformed product. But we have never truly stopped to question the impact that this has Uh, and that it is having on our current generations in their learning process in the context of the modern world, where simply being able to complete tasks is not enough. We want innovative, revolutionary, collaborative, and curious minds. But have we considered how our our, our current construct of traditional learning actually discourages that sort of thinking? It actually discourages minds from finding their own process of learning and pursuing it. Have we even considered that? We say that only a small percentage of kids will become successful and innovative people, but how much of this is actually a product of a system that we force them through, not a product of the fact of what they are actually capable of? 
Have we truly stopped as a society to question this enough? Are we each individually questioning this within ourselves enough to be crystal clear on our own biases when it comes to learning and what we believe learning has to be versus what it can actually be and what we have accepted as having to be true for ourselves in our own lives based on that learning system? How much of a dysfunctional learning system are we continuing to pass on? How much of our own lives are we merely surviving and not showing up with our fullest potential in because we're not clear on what learning could look like for us individually and choose to see that as successful for us, even if the traditional learning system that we went through, the traditional model that we went through, labeled us as either being mediocre or a failure? It's an interesting thought to consider. And also this this thought from this article that I read to you guys, that learning equals change. Having learned equals no more change, meaning that once we learn it, it becomes a constant for us. So no more change occurs. But learning implies that changing is occurring. Think about that. So if we learn something, something is changing until we have learned it. Then it is done changing, which means that learning is not a stable process. But once it is complete, stability is implied. So, habits imply what we have learned. If you want to know what someone has learned, look at their habits. If you want to learn something, you go through the process of changing those habits, which also implies a period of time in which there is instability, uncertainty, unpredictability, taking new actions and seeing what results they give you until you find the actions that give you the results you want. And then we solidify those actions into habit, and this is the process of learning. This implies, this implies that while we are learning, results and behaviors will be all over the place. After having learned, we are able to replicate the same results consistently until we can't anymore because of external circumstances changing, and then it may be time for further learning. I want you to think about, in the world, what we have created and how fast technology and science is developing. How quickly that has caused circumstances around us in life just in the last 20-30 years to change, and what this means about learning in this model. Stir circumstances like population and how this affects economy, how this affects jobs and pay and what sort of jobs are available and, you know, effects of resource availability and how this affects communication, how this affects our environment and how we care for it. Think about the implications that this true model of learning has on the learning process for humans. It implies that we want people to be willing to go into the learning process more and more frequently because we are constantly changing our environment more and more rapidly, while at the same time we're signaling that the learning process is dangerous and possibly damages our worth as a person if we don't do it in a certain way with a certain time frame. You want to know why we've ended up with like only 1% of the world being quote-unquote successful? I think this has a lot to do with it because only 1% of people are willing to go through that learning process because we're cueing most people to be like, no, that's terrifying. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. It'll affect your worth. It's, you know, it's failure. You're going to fail too many times. It's no wonder that only 1% of people on the planet are willing to go through that at the, the amount of times that they will need to based on how frequently we're changing our environment now to be able to come out on the other side having learned something that they can then integrate and apply in life consistently. Think about that. Learning is not a stable, predictable process. If we want stable and predictable outcomes, then the willingness to go through the unstable, unpredictable process of learning 
that's just part of the deal. But we're cueing that that's a bad idea, that that's not good, that that's, that means you're not successful if you can't get the predictable results. And as we get those predictable results, guess what happens? They influence the circumstances and eventually they will become unstable again and unpredictable. And then we will go back into the learning process again. Do you see where this is going? I find this, this way of looking at learning very interesting to consider. Because what it shows is that the learning process involves and actually requires action without stable results, without knowing the how. And even once we get stable results and we figure out the how, we will cause indirect unstable results that will again stimulate the learning process all over again. And this is desired, and yet we're teaching people to avoid it. This unpredictable, unstable process is what we call failure. Do you see the problem here? If we go into learning and want stable results the entire way through the process, and we just want to passively consume, 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 consume information, like we want to passively consume other things in life, until we feel like we can, there's no possible way that we couldn't get the results that we want, then my friends, we are avoiding the learning process. What we are stuck in is studying and information consumption. Learning is an active process of getting out there and integrating and applying new knowledge in a way that is unstable until we are able to create stable results. That is when we know that we have learned. So really, learning implies this choice that we will allow ourselves to feel this instability, this uncertainty, until we have learned to control and replicate results. This is interesting to consider when we, when it comes to how we apply this you know, term what we call failure, and it's actually what the learning process is. This also brings into question our, our whole socially normalized concept of how we evaluate learning at the formal education level. Um, this, this article that I read to you guys from, out of the Oxford Review from David Wilkinson. Sorry, I forgot his name there for a second. There's a quote from this article that I, that I pulled out that I want to say, because I find it to be really fascinating. He says, maybe... Just maybe, all these evaluations that go on after a course should be evaluating change. What are people doing, thinking, and feeling that is different than how they were doing, thinking, and feeling before the learning process? Note I say process, not event. Learning is rarely a single event, rather a series of events strung together in a process. I want you to think about that. How we also, we evaluate learning and how we're basically just evaluating people's ability to regurgitate information. But we don't evaluate learning based on what has changed. We look at having learned as meaning that in the end, we produce people that all produce this like same result. And anyone who can produce a result that's close enough to what is considered the desired outcome for the learning process, which is some outcome that, you know, was determined by some group of people or a person, anyone who doesn't produce a result that falls within some measurable scaled percentage of replication of this predetermined outcome is labeled as having failed. But if the truth of successful learning is change then the results would be different from person to person because each person goes into the learning process from a different set of thoughts, beliefs, and feelings about life. And therefore, the learning process is about changing those. So how is our, our actual, not just the, the 
education system itself, but our examination of whether or not the education system has worked on someone, how much are we failing people there? Because what we're looking at has nothing to do with actually seeing whether or not the person learned. What we're testing is to see if they can regurgitate something and and come close to this one specific outcome of, of having quote-unquote learned something, and that that's not actual learning. Learning is actually the application of information in a way that changes how the person approaches their own life. I want to I wanna talk to you all about this. Like, Let me give you an example here to put this into context. For example, if we have someone, some people, that having learned about what the frontal lobe of the brain means, what it, how it operates, what its functions are, how it develops, etc., how diseases impact it, someone learning that who is a life coach, the changes they will make in how they coach will be the determiner of if they have learned from that process. Now let's take someone who's a surgeon, and they're learning the same thing. The changes they will make will be entirely different. So how is it that can we, we can expect that these two completely different people who will have two completely different outcomes of change from the learning process here can then complete the same standardized form of evaluation to say whether or not they have learned and expect that those results determine whether or not the person has learned and who, has, who will pass, who will be labeled as a success and who will be labeled as a failure. This is a conundrum of, of a standardized testing and, and learning. And what this has been taught to many youth and many young adults and even older adults who grew up with standardized testing as a part of their education. We've all been taught and therefore behave in a way that exemplifies the process of having learned that learning is about comparison to other students that are on an entirely different journey or process than we are when it comes to having learned or the learning process. And that there, our learning success is measured and how much we can be the same as someone else, even though they are actually designed to be very different. And so are we. And successful learning for them will look very different and have very different outcomes than successful learning for other students that, that are being compared to each other. But the system will rate their success of learning on a scale that is in comparison to the other students they are surrounded by during their learning process. Have you stopped to consider the implications of this? And how much this has maybe even impacted you on a personal level? How much it impacts how you show up in your life and your willingness to get out there and actively learn what you would want to learn to do the things you authentically want to do in your life? Have you thought about how this traditional learning system has shaped your story that you tell yourself about what is possible for you based on what this traditional education system labeled you as. It's really powerful to think about this, my friends. And so many people aren't thinking about this. Definitely not enough. But thinking about this isn't enough. Not enough people are truly thinking about this. And on top of that, even fewer people are doing something about it. To learn, to change, to create new habits in their life, to reflect that they are learning about the flaws and misconceptions, and what they have been programmed to believe about learning and therefore what is possible for them. That's why I wanted to talk with you all about this today. I want to bring this to my audience. I want to bring this questioning to my audience, but not just questioning. I want to bring the process of real learning to my audience, the process of being willing to move into the instability of the learning process, to move out of the stability 
of an inauthentic and unfulfilling life that you all think is what you want because you've been taught that that's what you want, but that you feel stably stuck in. And like you just have to survive it, just have to get through it, just have to deal with the reality of it. It's predictable and feels stable, so you stay in it. But how much of that is because of some program belief that the learning process is too dangerous for you and that you will fail if you move into the process of learning, so therefore you just have to stick with what you, what you believe and what you quote-unquote know to be true about life? How much of that belief stems from you having gone through a very industrial, flawed education system that's not designed to account for the real process of human learning? It's designed to fear and guilt people into believing that they must become a product by comparison to a standard that was decided by other people who are just as human as you are. And their learning process is just as messy, and they are just as afraid of it as you are. Only they're the ones deciding who gets labeled as success in learning and who gets labeled as failure. And then we think of people like Albert Einstein or Thomas Thomas Edison, Leonardo da Vinci, Pablo Picasso, Winston Churchill, Steve Jobs, Steven Spielberg, just to name a few of all of these brilliant minds that also went through the same traditional learning system and were labeled as failures to varying extents, and yet we know that they are brilliant and intelligent human beings. The system that judged them is what failed, not them. And how many of you have also accepted a judgment of a failed system and have been surviving a life since then that you feel like is all that's possible for you and that you just have to accept and get through and deal with? And so you're numbing out all the time because you feel like life is just a set of circumstances that have to be true for you that you're just stuck dealing with. How much of this is a product of you having gone through an education system that taught you to believe those things about life and taught you to believe those things about yourself and you're not questioning it? I want to call this into question today. I want to bring this into your awareness today. I want you to begin to see that societally and culturally, we have a very vague and incomplete understanding of what learning is. And we've created a system that we actively use to assess people's learning ability from that very incomplete understanding. And so many people, including many of you listening, have gone through that, through that system and just accepted the judgment of it as being a permanent fact about life and about you and what kind of person they and you are and therefore what they and you are accepting as being what is capable of themselves in this life. Think about that. Think about how much this is impacting your life and people around you. Someone you know or love, maybe a child of yours, maybe a parent, but also how much it is impacting you and your life. Have you ever considered this? And if not, why? Why not? Why are we not considering this? Are you willing to consider it? Because from what I see, considering this is the key to opening the door to your true power and potential. Seeing that just because one socially normalized, accepted system of education has told you that you're only able to learn to a certain extent and therefore this is what is possible, it doesn't mean that 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 judgment is a fact or permanent about you. But how much have you accepted it as being just that? a fact that is permanent about you. Think about it and think about the implication of the word failure being used here within the context of that limited and incomplete dysfunctional system of education and how we allow the system to spit out the label of failure on so many people, maybe so many of you that are listening to me right now, or just as being mediocre or just okay, but not excellent. You're never going to be great. 
are we learning about our education system? Or are we accepting what we have learned? And therefore, we're stuck with this idea. So much of having... Are we stuck with this idea of having this stable system of education so much that we're unwilling to move into the unstable process of learning that we can change that system and that it will be unstable in the process? And this is a good thing because that means learning. Think about it. Are we so afraid of going through that process of learning about our own education system that our own education system is no longer learning? It's stuck and it's producing stuck people. Have we learned that the label that the system puts on so many people has to be true so much that we are unwilling to move into the unstable process of learning how that label doesn't have to be true and how much potential and possibility we're actually stifling and sitting on because of this desire for a stable and predictable and efficient quote-unquote education system. So many of my coaching clients come to me with beliefs about what is possible for them in their career and in life in general simply because of what this one system of education that they went through told them about themselves and what would be possible for them. And I'm not here to say that we should just totally discredit the system. But we have become so comfortable with the idea of a stable, quote-unquote, learned system of education that we are unwilling to question it. Most of my clients who came to me with their stories did not even know that they could question it or what questioning it would look like for them or mean for their lives. Some even felt that they had some kind of duty to not question that system and that they were somehow being virtuous or somehow more, quote-unquote, realistic by just accepting the, quote-unquote, facts that the system told them about their ability to learn, and therefore what would be possible for them in life. Many of them, and probably many of you, have felt shame or guilt around the idea of questioning this education system, as if they have some responsibility, or maybe you feel that you have some responsibility not to question it. What I want to say today is that we have a responsibility to question the system. Systems always have flaws because they are based in what we think we know is the truth at the time. Systems will always not fit for certain people. Systems are developed for efficiency, not for truthfulness. Systems will always not fit for certain people, and this does not mean that somehow... There's something wrong with the people that the system does not fit. This means that for the sake of efficiency, we created a system. We have a responsibility that if we want to use systems for the sake of efficiency to consider its, its effects on the people that it does not account for. We have a responsibility to create solutions for those people. Not because they are flawed, but because we chose as a society to use a system for the sake of efficiency, and we are failing people for the sake of keeping that efficiency. And it is our responsibility to question that. And we're not doing it. Why? It's our responsibility to do this. I feel a bit angry when I talk about this, guys, because I see how this system it affected my own life. I see how it has affected so many lives of my clients. And I feel angry when I think about this and the fact that we're just sitting here on this. And for the sake of efficiency, we're labeling all these people as, oh, you have ADHD, oh, you have this flaw, you have this disease, you have this disease, because they don't fit into our little bubble of a system that we want to work efficiently so that we can keep moving forward in life and leaving more people behind because we're too impatient to find solutions for them. Think about that. Shame on us, really, shame on us. But let's not sit in that shame 
because that does us no good. Let's find solutions. But you know how we're going to find those solutions? Is to start being willing to question. Start feeling uncomfortable about this education system. Start feeling unstable about this education system and moving through the learning process of our education system learning again, not having learned. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, just because you went through one of these traditional education systems doesn't mean you're stuck with that. I would love for us to learn our education system again. But until then, we have a responsibility to question this for ourselves on an individual level to be able to find where we have trapped ourselves in inauthentic lives due to what a system, a flawed system that was developed out of people's impatience to move forward in a direction that some people in society decided this is the way we're going to go. They developed the system to be able to move in that direction, and it failed people, normal people. But for the sake of the efficiency of that system, we started labeling those people as being broken and what needed help versus seeing that the system was flawed. My friends, we're all going through that right now. So we not only have an obligation, not only have a responsibility to question that system and learn it and have it learn again, but we also have a responsibility to question its impact on our own life and move back into the learning process that is unique and authentic for each and every one of us and learn that we are not stuck within the boundaries of what that system told us have to be the boundaries for us for life. So many of my clients have come to me having gone through these traditional education systems and have freed themselves from these boundaries in life that they didn't even realize they had just accepted as having to be true for them. And in doing so, they also freed themselves to explore exciting potential that before felt off limits to them because they were told that it's off limits to them to explore. And I want to offer that to each and every one of you as well. Our current education system is one way in life in which this inauthentic boundary setting gets set for us. There are many others, but I find as I work with my clients that this education system is a big one and it has a lot of pull for many reasons. I mean, we stress traditional education systems so much as a culture. It's no wonder that kids grow up into adults who believe many of the limits that they have imposed on them through that education system as being facts that they have to deal with about their life. And I want you all to begin questioning that today and see how are you doing this in your own life? How much have you accepted things as having to be facts of what you have to deal with in life and you're numbing out from these facts about quote-unquote facts about life with food, alcohol, social media, you know, television, shopping, vacations, because you believe that you just have to deal with these things that you don't like about life. How many of those things are you doing that with that have just, you've just accepted as being true that actually just came from a system that's flawed? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever questioned it? I am here to offer you permission to question it today. Open it up and explore the truth of it. That's what this episode is about today, my friends. I want you to think about what we've talked about today. I want you to think about the implications of this study that I talked with you all about today. I want you to think about these questions that this this author from Oxford wrote in the Oxford Review article that I wrote with you, David Wilkinson. I want you to think about the implications of what he's questioning here. Someone in a very traditional education system. These very healthy questions that he's asking that many of us are not, we're not questioning, we're not asking. We're just accepting facts about ourselves that are being told to us by a flawed system that was developed out of a desire for stability and efficiency. Not because it's true, 
but because that's what systems are for. And we can use systems. I am not here to say we cannot use systems. I'm not here to say we can't have an educational system, but I'm here to say that if we choose to do so, we have a responsibility that comes along with it. And that is to question it at all points in time and to recognize that the people that don't, that don't thrive in those systems are not flawed. The system is flawed. Those people did not fail. The system is failing. I am here to give you permission today to begin questioning how this impacts your own life, how much you have let this influence your own life and cause it to limit you. And you are just accepting these limits as being facts about you. And I'm here to tell you they're not. They don't have to be facts about you. You can question them. You can open it up to so much more potential and possibility for your life. And I'm here to guide you through that process and into what would truly be your most authentic and fulfilling life when you're ready to do that questioning. Start questioning it. Start asking yourself. Start looking at how much this has impacted your life. I want you to begin being able to live the life that is truly your most authentic and fulfilling life, not the life you were told that you have to accept based on some flawed system that we've accepted as having to be true out of a desire for efficiency. Question it. It is your time to rise and thrive, my friend, and I'm here for you whenever you are ready. That's all I've got for you all today. I love you all. Start thinking, start questioning, and until we talk again here next week, ciao. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the content of this podcast. If you did, please subscribe so that you're one of the first people to know when I release a new episode each week. If you have any questions or if you have interest in learning more about the coaching that I do with my clients one-on-one, then just head over to my website at www.lifecoachseth.com. That's www.lifecoachseth.com. There you're going to have the ability to reach out to me for questions that you might have or to book your free discovery call with me to discuss what one-on-one coaching with me might be like for you. You can also check out and order your copy of my book to get a taste of what I'm all about as a person and as a coach. I'm so happy that you joined us today and I hope to have you here again next week. So until then, let authenticity be the guide to your most unstoppable and fulfilling journey of life. 